Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for being with me on what I think will be episode number nine of this season, season number four. And we'll probably wind up doing 10 episodes again. That seems like the thing we're doing on this podcast. So we'll have at least one more before I take a break for a few weeks and work on some other stuff. It has been a crazy time, so I need some time to work on some other stuff. Of course, you know the book, The Hope and Melvin of Humanity and Other Surprising Short Stories just came out. I hope you've picked up a copy. Thank you for those of you who have responded to that and have been giving some stars and some reviews to that. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to jump in on my newsletter at jonathanfosteronline.com, I'll actually send you a free copy of the audiobook. And um, that way you can be on the newsletter. And then hopefully that'll just give you yet another reason to leave a review. And um, I think that's a win-win. I mean, you get to be on my newsletter. I get to give you a book. I don't know what more you could ask for. Uh, hopefully you like the book. Maybe that's what you could ask for. So that's been going on. We've been heading out to Colorado out west a lot to watch my son play football for the first time in three years. We get to watch him play because he had a broken leg and then he had a red shirt year and then a little thing called COVID. So it's a lot of fun to be able to watch him. I almost forgot how much fun it is uh, as a parent to be able to watch your son play ball. And then our other son, he's jumped into this crazy thing of being the director of the uh, nonprofit LQVE.org. Love Haiti, and I'm really proud of him. That's been a wild time. And then on top of all that, or in the middle of all that, we've been putting together this conference called An Interesting Conference About Sexuality. And if you haven't picked up tickets, you should run right now to the closest computer and dial the website in, aninterestingconference.com. Or search for an interesting conference about sexuality on eventbrite.com and uh, find some tickets there because it's going to be really interesting. We got great diversity, great um, ability and acumen from these people who are speaking. And then uh, Tom Ord and I will be interviewing them. We got Linda K. Klein, James Allison, Monica Coleman, Elaine Padilla, all really intelligent, good people. And so it is, in fact, going to be an interesting conference about sexuality. And did I just say we're going to be interviewing them? Actually, what Tom and I are going to do, we're going to debrief after each one of the speakers speak, and we'll be interacting with you as you dial in and ask questions. Either way, it's going to be really good. I hope that you'll be with us. Then, uh, as all of that stuff's been happening, I also decided to transition our faith community. So we used to be called Mission Church, now we're called missiofaith.life. So that's been a ton of work. It's been great, and I hope you'll check it out if you're not involved in a faith community. But it's also been, you know, really challenging to do. And then in the middle of all that, this little book called Partnering with God came out. It's not that little. It's almost 400 pages. And I, uh, I got the opportunity to write an essay in the book. I'm really proud to be a part of it because there's so many other good essays in this book. And it's edited by my friends, friends, Deadman and Tom Ord and Bonnie Rambob and Tim Reddish. And later on in this episode of the podcast, we're going to listen to the four of them talk about the book, which is cool because I think this is a really important work. And I would highly encourage you to pick up a copy of it. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Um, before that happens, I'm going to talk about the essay that I wrote. 
And so that's going to happen. But first, let me just say thank you for all your support. In particular, thank you for those on my Patreon page, uh, patreon.com forward slash Jonathan underscore Foster. I would highly encourage any of you listening to jump in and be a part of that as well. Patreon is an important platform uh, in helping artists like myself do the things that they do. I know I uh, support a handful of artists myself. So I hope you'll do that because as you can imagine, I got a lot of stuff going on and um, your input there and your energy there helps me produce more of this stuff. And I think in the long run, it's good stuff. It's going to help. It's going to help people be healthier. And um, so thank you very much for diving into that. Appreciate it. Anyhow, before we hear from Tim and Bonnie and Fran and Tom, I thought I would just talk briefly about the essay in this book, Partnering with God, that I wrote. I found it to be really helpful for me. Um, And I entitled the essay, God in Partnership with Us in Our Sexual Partnership. God in Partnership with Us in Our Sexual Partnerships. And it's basically exploring how we could have a foundation that would allow us to construct a theology that is open to less binary categories in all things, but especially, as the name implies, in all things sexuality-related. And let me just pause here for a minute, because I will tell you straight up that, yes, this is a dive into the biblical text in such a way as to give people permission to be themselves, to be loved, to be accepted as they are. It is amazing, once you start reading the sacred text with new eyes, how freeing it is to realize that the text itself isn't necessarily interested in pinning you in a particular corner, of constraining your options, uh, or to use a loaded word, shunning you into the closet. And then people often respond to me by saying, oh, you just read into the text whatever you want to see. And I'm like, actually, that's true. And what I want to see is a God who accepts us unconditionally. And here's the funny thing. I think you're doing the same thing. You are reading into the text. I'm saying you as if I'm talking to one of my antagonistic friends right now. Sorry. I think they're doing the same thing. Like, because they are reading into the text what they want to see. And what is it that they want to see? Well, based on what they've been telling me for decades, the thing they want to see is a God who demands that people act in certain ways in order to be accepted. And in terms of sexuality, they want to see people staying in the closet or scrambling back to the closet. They don't want anyone outside of this little closet that they fabricated. Because think about it. I mean, who made the closet in the first place? The church did. When people say they are coming out of the closet, or really now it's usually just that they're coming out, they're really just coming out of a socially religious fabricated construct created by the church. The closet is this small, cramped, dark room with three solid walls and a solid ceiling and a closed door. 
It was not created by the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -mm. It was created by the church. The church is the closet maker par excellence. Now, good stuff can happen in a church, but we have to be honest about this. Really, really bad stuff can happen in the church too. And what I think is really bad, maybe the height of hypocrisy, is to preach freedom and grace all the while trying to shove people into closets of constraint and shame. I'm convinced that some of the reasons that people act out the way they do in all different kinds of things in life, but especially with sexuality, is because they have this direct connection to the condemnation of the church and to the shame that the church has heaped on them. They, they feel so connected to that. They feel that so strongly that they, they wind up acting out even more than they would have if they would have been accepted in the first place. And they're like, well, look, they didn't like me anyhow. You know, the church doesn't like me anyhow. So apparently I'm on my own and I'm going to go do whatever I want to hell with them, to hell with what they think. And human nature, you, you know, being what it is, and I'm not even saying that this is right, but human nature being what it is, a lot of people just take it a step further. You know, you don't like me? Well, I'll show you. And then they, they act out even more. They go, in other words, further into the closet. And I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast have already determined this. But you know, Jesus was not a closet maker. I mean, he was a carpenter, apparently, or his father was, but he wasn't a closet maker. Jesus was a friend who opened doors everywhere he went. More than that, this is fascinating. You could say he actually went into the closet with everyone that the church put there or the synagogue or his own religious tradition. And sometimes he didn't even come out. He just stayed in there with them. Lo and behold, they found passageways and openings into other rooms from the backside of the closet. In fact, it feels like that Jesus went into other parts of the house and found doors and windows out into fresh, clean air with his friends who had been pushed into the closet by the church. Like none of them even had a need to come out of the door that the church created. All of this so that you could, what you could really say is that they left the church in their own closet. Many LGBTQ plus people that I know are living more free lives than the people in the church. You could say, maybe in some ways, that the church thought they were pointing out closets of sin, but what they were really doing is creating a closet for themselves. Small, little, dark, cramped spaces where no one else can come in. Well, you can go in. You just have to like cramped spaces. You have to like the dark. You have to be willing to elevate the rules over human beings. So you can get in, yeah. Yeah, I actually think it could be said that in many cases, most cases, the church is the one that's actually in the closet. So it's true. I intentionally wrote some stuff that would help me have freedom. I totally admit it. I'm a believer in wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I actually believe that's true. I think that that's the point. The freedom 
It gives me space to accept people and to remind myself how grateful I am to be out of the closet of that, well, of that particular denomination that just can't operate by the light. But the denomination is just part of a larger, it's just part of a larger American Christian movement that would rather operate in the dark, paradoxically, while it tries to preach about the light. I know, it's, it's crazy, it's mind-boggling, dark, light, grace, freedom, sin, constraint. Sometimes I think the whole thing has just been turned on upside down, and it's the, it's the quote-unquote good people who really need to hear about Jesus, not the quote-unquote bad people. Well, that's me riffing on that for a little bit. Let's, um, let's spend the rest of our time listening to Tom and Bonnie and Tim and Fran talk about the book Partnering with God, and then I'll catch you on the back end of this. Thanks for hanging out with me today. As always, I don't take it for granted. I really appreciate it. Last year, 2020, I emailed Tom and said, you know, I think we ought to have a book on partnering with God. And that that element of partnership has a, a very dynamic feel to it in the context of open and relation relational theology. You know, the partnership is going through time, it's dynamic, um, and it's it has an element of give and take with it. Um, and so I suggested that, you know, this is something that I feel passionately about. And, uh, you know, what I realized was that it would need to have some theological elements to it, perhaps some th- philosophical elements to it to explain this, because it sounds a, an audacious uh, concept um, to think that we can actually partner with, with God. Um, I was joking the other day, that, you know, as Christians, um, we often refer to ourselves uh, or have been, you know, talk about based on Paul's language of being ambassadors of Christ. But partnering with God just sounds a little bit uh, uh, more pretentious than that. And so whatever the book had in it would need to explain what that means. But it does broaden it also beyond uh, Christianity. But, you know, we would need to have some uh, scriptural uh, references to that, to, to make that clear. And what would also be important is some people's stories of how they have been partnering with God in their unique situations, because each person's partnership will be different. Um, you know, we're not called to be uh, the same little individuals, uh, you know, little, little Jesuses everywhere or um, we're all different, and those unique personalities and experience can come into this mix. Let me just say that the other thing about that is that that was, the idea of this was really meant that not one person should write it. It should be a collection of essays. Uh, and I've written some essays with some of Tom's earlier projects, and so I mentioned this to him. And he just thought it was a great idea, uh, wanted to refine it a little bit in its scope, which was very straightforward. 
um, and uh, was on board right from the get-go. Within a matter of a couple of weeks, we had um, four editors to, to start this ball rolling, and Tom, uh, who's had experience with this in the past, um, contacted the network and ended up with, what, 77 essays. So that was a, a great uh, way to uh, pull these themes together that have got you know some some principles of what partnership means, some practical ideas, uh, and some personal uh, stories that make it real. And so that's really the, the passion behind this story. You know, I think part of the beauty of this book is that both its meth- method and its message are aligned. It was formed in collaboration, and it is about collaboration particularly collaboration uh, with the divine in all of the ways that we bring the divine into the world. You know, I the book just came out and already it has generated a lot of enthusiasm within my congregation and colleagues because they see it as a really easy way to take little bits of insight, you know, uh, essay by essay, chapter by chapter, with the questions and the resources. And people are already starting to use it to have conversations with one another, which in and of itself, every conversation is a kind of collaboration. And it's a kind of theological collaboration because we embody God. I mean, that's part of what open and relational theology is all about. So I, you know, it's, I don't know how it's going to change things. All I know is that it is going to change things for people who use it in this way. And I'm excited as a pastor to have this resource. And I'm super excited to have been a part of making the resource and collaborating on the resource to begin with. One of the, one of the wonderful things I think about this book is, is that um, the, the binary notion that we like to have in our mind of um, of sacred and secular seem to seem to be fused somewhat, which is which is rather beautiful as we I think uh, approach life um, in a more holistic way. I think um, for me, um, I, I'm just reminded of Keats, uh, uh, that wonderful uh, poet that um, I'm sure most people uh, have heard of, and his concept of negative uh, capability. Um, and there's, a, there's just a fabulous quote that he says that uh, uh, negative capability is uh, when man is capable of being in uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. And for me, um, this book is not a, it's not a set of dogma. It's, it's not uh, saying you've got to believe this or you've got to live your life out like this. It's saying it's an invitation. It's an invitation to collaborate with the divine. And in doing so, I believe it's an invitation to say we're collaborating with with a mystery that we might not have all the answers. You know what? That doesn't matter. Because like uh, I think it was you, uh, Jerry, said, we, we can join that dance and we can enjoy that dance together inclusively without having all the answers um, and and for me uh, as I journey through life as I uh, talk to patients um, we don't have answers we don't have all the answers that doesn't matter and I think I think one of the strengths of, for me of this theology is is we can hold our heads up high and we can ask the big questions and we must ask the big questions 
we can also live with uncertainties and with doubt, and that's fine. It, it's about living fully in our humanity, I think. Yeah, well, for me, love is at the very center of how I think about God and why I'm so attracted to open and relational theology. This particular way of looking at God and creation and, and my own life is a way that makes sense of my deep intuitions of what love should look like and how it should be expressed, not only by me, but by God and by all of creation. So for me, open and relational thought is a conceptual framework that just makes sense of my intuitions. And I think this comes out in the book in various ways. And and I see so much diversity of expression along these lines. The way I think, you know, it doesn't have to be the only way to think. And there's lots of difference. In fact, there's at least one Muslim contributor a Jewish contributor, some who don't identify with any religious tradition, but who believe in something this open and relational vision. And so while the majority of contributors come from the Christian tradition, so you're right in, in sort of putting that focus there. I also want to say there's something beautiful about having this overarching set of ideas that we share in common, but then having plenty of room for diverse ideas and expression of those ideas. And these uh, essays, I think, illustrate that. I think it's, it's like when in anything new is birthed into the world, right? There's an immediate impact on all of those who are part of the midwifing, the midwifery, and also all of those who are on the receiving end of this new thing in the world. And that's what this book feels like. Um, I, because the book exists in the world, I know I am, I'm writing sermons differently. I, I now feel like I have a resource that I can point people to that didn't exist before. And it's a resource of many voices, which is, I, you know, in my opinion, always better than a singular voice. Um, God is a God of many voices. So this book represents that. Um, and I think the way that I'll think theologically has certainly been impacted by all of the perspectives of the essayists in the book. Uh, it's such a wide range of ideas and insights and experiences. And the way that Tim decided to separate the essays into three categories, we have principles, which is more of the theoretical undergirding of ideas. And then there are there, then there is now I'm blanking. That's terrible. Um, practical, <laughs> practical and, personal. and personal, practical, which is like, you know, the how to, how do you take this, these ideas and then run with them in everyday experiences? How are they useful to us as humans? And then the personal, which is my favorite section, because that's where people tell their own stories about how partnering with God has made a difference in their lives in a very personal way. So, um, yeah, how, how is it going to change things? I think in just about every single way. And I'm excited to see the unfolding that is before us. Uh, one of the things that has struck me uh, in reading over the essays, and I'm, it's still, um, I'm still digesting the various perspectives that have come in, um, but perhaps also because I've been a Christian for a number of years, there's, there's a, I'm consciously reminded that 
so often in the past, I've been trying to do things for God. And there's a sense of duty, there's a sense of obedience, um, and, uh, and this transitioning to partnering with God really is a paradigm shift in the way we think. Um, and that's why it's, it's a relational element in which we, you know, see God uh, as um, a partner, but also as a nurturing parent, rather than as a, an authoritative um, tyrant, to, to put it strongly. Um, and so, even now, you know, you sort of have to double stop and say, am I doing this, whatever I'm doing, in a dutiful way? Or am I genuinely trying to partner with God, listen um, more attentively to the Spirit of God in this situation? And that is very much a work in progress, as it is for all of us. But I just find that the the essays and the books and, and some of them keep emphasizing the difference between um, for and with God. Um, and uh, I think that's uh, something that we needs to resonate more loudly um, in the faith community. But for me, I, I found that some of the some of the essays made me laugh out loud with the writers. Others made me weep and weep yeah. deeply. Um, and, and I felt as though I was, I was going often at times on a personal journey with uh, these writers. Um, one of the things that I found personally challenging um, was the, um, that there are a number of essays on, on looking after the environment and our, our responsibility, uh, sustainability, um, and uh, it did make me re reflect on my own life, um, and and I've made a, a change, and it's small change really in the in the whole big picture. Um, I've stopped eating red meat, and for me that's a that's a big thing. But that that was as a result of of I think allowing myself, and it's different for everyone else, to be challenged by some of some of these stories. Um, and, and to be open to, to, to the movement of the Spirit within me. As Tim said, he sends an email in October, and this book is published the next August. Think about that. That is just absolutely phenomenal. 77 participants. We invited more than that. Some people couldn't come through. So think about all the administrative thing we go through. The truth is the people who did the actual reading the essays and doing the real editing are my co-editors, Tim, Bonnie, and Fran. My job was kind of more administrative sorts of things. But dividing up this task in this kind of way meant that we all had our little lane to be in, our, our own little things that we needed to do. And thanks to communication, four editors who are not only in four different time zones, but in three different countries <laughs> can work with essayists who are literally in other continents. I mean, the, one of the very first essays in the book is from Andre Rabe, who's from South Africa, to come together in that window of time to put together a book that's 370, I think, pages. It's just phenomenal. And it only works because of the collaboration, not only that we do with God, but that we do with one another in this kind of way. And it's just been, it's been a joy to work with not only my co-editors in this project, but also the essayists and, and those involved. Can I also add uh, that we mustn't forget that we completed, or we started and completed this book during a 
global pandemic, yeah. a time of depletion and pain and suffering. And, and, and hopefully we have been able to collaborate together to produce something that will, will give hope to people, that will start to rebuild, help people to rebuild their lives and to be able to feel that there, there is a future out there. Um, in the times we live in, it's, I think, tempting for people to swing toward two ideas that I don't find helpful. One idea is that God is going to swoop in in divine omnipotence and single-handedly, all alone, save the day, fix it all. There's nothing we have to do but sit back and watch it happen. And this book is saying, no, we have a role to play. We must collaborate with God. The other idea, and Tim mentioned this earlier, is the idea that some people think that it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. It's all on my shoulders. Me and my friends, we got to do it all because if we don't, nothing else can happen. And this book not only suggests that God is empowering, enabling, inspiring us to work, but also that we can join together with others of common cause. And so there's collaboration at that level. So to avoid those two extremes, I think this book points toward a middle way that says we and God and others provide the hope for the future. I think what this book offers is it offers something that an open and relational theology we need in our process of becoming, God needs in God's process of becoming, and that is proximity to one another. Mm. The, the closer we are, the more deeply we can listen and hear one another's voices, the more we have to work with in our, from our particular place in the work, capital W work, mm. and the less alone we feel. And I think that this book does both of those things. It offers proximity, like uh, Tim was mentioning, you know, voices from around the world and, and how they came together in this very efficient fashion in a very short amount of time now is available to whomever, you know, wants to pick it up. And so um, that is a, a lot of joy, a lot of beauty, a lot of hope, and a, and a lot of sense of like, I'm not in this alone. There are others who are with me. I think for me, one of the, 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 the important things is that the challenges of the nature of the God we believe in. We talk about uh, the two certainties of life being death and taxes. Um, there's a, a, another one, perhaps, and that is suffering. Um, somewhere in our life experience, we will be impacted upon suffering, if not personally, by those uh, immediately around us. And that can make us want to blame God or to, to really question the kind of God we believe in. And a lot of people in this book have done that. And some people, when they've had those experiences and have been disappointed by God, then just walk away. And this book says, no, don't wrestle with it. Rethink about the, this relationship with God and recognize that God wants to partner with you and invites us, you, to partner back with God uh, in the good times and in the pain that we experience. And I think that's a, a really healthy response. Um, and the diversity that's represented in the book shows how different people have engaged in that in, in their ways and have also maybe had their minds broadened and their hearts broadened by, by seeing God in a relational light. I think the book uh, the book says that that. 
God is near. He's near. He's he's within us, and 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 His dreams are are just around us, and for us to just to quietly and gently um, ask, what, Lord, where where are those dreams? What are you saying to me? And He's He's saying to us, they're there. My dreams are there for you to you to walk in, for you to grab hold of, for you to walk with me, um, and it comes back for me again fusion of this sacred and secular together and I think for me that's one one thing that the, the book really does um, uh, provide. Well that's probably a good place to stop. I love that whole idea of the, sec- the secular and the sacred coming together. In fact the more I think about it it seems to me that there really is no secular. It's all sacred because the sacred spills over into it and fills it up from the inside out. I love that whole thought. Hey, anyhow, think about that as you listen to these sweet ooing sounds that we got from, I don't know, somewhere deep in the internet. Meditate on all that right now. And uh, God bless. Have a great week.